Welcome to Walter Edgar's Journal. With me in the Scanner studio today are Dr. Ed Lee, who is mayor of the town of York, and Reba Hall Campbell, who is deputy executive director of the Municipal Association of South Carolina. And we're going to talk about small town South Carolina in the 21st century, challenges, successes, and where do we go from here? So with that, Reba and Eddie, welcome to the journal. Well, Walter, it's always good to see you, and it was good to have you in York County a couple of months ago, and we had a wonderful standing room only crowd at Kinder Auditorium at Wentham University to hear your comments. And It's good to be in Columbia with you and Reba. Well, thank you, but we were in the big city of Rock Hill. We weren't in the town of York. Where, how long have you been mayor well, of York? Well, we, of course, say we're the county seat, so we always point that out to our friends in Rock Hill. <laughs> um, I've had the pleasure of being mayor for 15 years. 15 years. Wow. The town of York is in York County. And what's the population, Eddie? Well, we have 9,000. The county population is 270,000. But as I pointed out a moment ago in jest, well, maybe not in jest, we are the county seat. We've just finished restoring our historic courthouse, and, and, and you probably are aware of that story, and that was quite a story. But we have reopened it, and it's a courthouse again, and it's in the heart of the downtown there in the county seat of York. Well, no, I had not heard that story, but it sounds like when you talk about historic preservation and the reuse of old buildings, Reba, this is what some towns are doing to try to reinvent themselves because you're the county seat, but you also used to be a farm-to-market town. Mm -hmm. You had textile mills. Mm -hmm. You don't have all of that anymore. Well, we're very fortunate. When the mills closed, a lot of cities struggled. Mm -hmm. But when our mills closed... We used that as an opportunity to be able to come up with other economic models that work, and so we didn't really skip a beat. And When I look at the census data, and, and of course we get updates, and REBA gets updates at the state level with the Municipal Association, we're growing faster than we've grown since the 1970s. So when those mills closed, we had other things to replace them with. and we're, Such as? Well, we're close to Charlotte, and you can leave my driveway and be at my daughter's driveway in Charlotte in 25 minutes. So we're still part of South Carolina, but economically we're tied to, to Charlotte. Okay, now that, that gives you an advantage that a lot of other places don't have, right, Reba? It does. Um, you've got the major metropolitan areas that give some of the smaller towns advantages. You've got proximity to the interstates that gives some small towns advantages. So we've got 270 cities in South Carolina, and 46% of them are under 1,000 in population. Well, 46 out of 270 are under 1,000. 46%. 46% are uh, under. Out of 270 are under 1,000 in population. And some of them are probably every census they're going down. Right. Um, by law, if a, if a city falls below a population of 50, then they're supposed to um, give up their charter. Now, that hasn't happened in recent history. We've got a few that are right there on the cusp of 50. I guess it kind of depends on the day of the week and who's been born and who's died recently <laughs> to know if it's 50 or not. But um, there are some very, very small towns in South Carolina, and they obviously are struggling more than the larger ones. But some of our um, our small towns under 1,000 are really doing great things and kind of beginning to understand that they can't be something else. They can't take a template of a successful York, for instance, and say, okay, York has done this, so that will work for us. They're, they're taking their assets and learning to work with what they've got and realizing that if they don't stop the outflow of young people from leaving their communities, then things are just going to get worse. So we're seeing a lot of cities that are working to try and take advantage of um, the whole telecommuting idea where people can live wherever they want to and still have access to their work through technology and nearby airports. You're right. And I think if we go back 20 years, uh, and I, I learned this when I would speak around the state before I retired from the university, is we want to be the next Newberry. Perfect New, example. And I kept, kept telling folks Newberry had it was a very special situation. It was initially, as you, as you know, a private-public partnership to restore the old opera house. They already had Newberry College there. Then they got some business like the Orchid Greenhouses and 
pretty soon, Newberry was a destination. Somebody said, how do you measure that? I said, when a national hotel chain builds a hotel on a town square six or eight miles from the interstate, you know something is going right. And not only did they build it there on the town square, but they built it to blend in with the architecture of the square. I mean, it's a really incredible success story. took a lot of effort, and it still takes effort. I mean, the the folks at the Opera House and the town, you know, are really working continuously. They've got new art galleries. They've got new restaurants. But you just can't say, hey, we've done it, and everybody's going to come. You have, It's a continuous process. You know, we have uh, the McKelvey Center in downtown York. Or, or at least explain to folks what the McKelvey yeah, Center is. Yeah, it was an abandoned building. It was at one time a female academy in the years leading up to the Civil War. Then it became a public school in the years after the war. Then it was York High School. Then it was an abandoned building. And some of our very creative citizens just took it upon themselves that in the 1980s they were going to save that building and they were going to turn it into an art center. And that's what it's become. So we have live performances there in the McKelvey Center. It's been refurbished. The county has chipped in, and so it's a county building now. Next door to it, and I'm sure sure you've used this research facility as the historical center of York County. That's next door to McKelvey. So we took that building. It was an abandoned building that could have easily been torn down, and citizens decided that they didn't want that to happen, so they saved it. Same thing in our downtown area with the Sylvia Theater. The Sylvia Theater has been saved by a Charlotte, there's Charlotte again in our in our future, by a Charlotte banker who decided that he wanted a movie theater and he wanted to own it, and so he took the Sylvia Theater, that was an abandoned theater, and he shows first-run movies, and on the weekends he has live musical performances, and 200 people fill that theater night after night after night. But again, you're talking about a situation that can't necessarily be duplicated. Did that person who funded the Sylvia Theater, he lives in Rock, I mean, he lives in York now. He lives in Charlotte. He never he never moved. He still has his day job as a banker, but he comes down on the weekends and he sells tickets to those live performances and during the week he has an associate who sells tickets to those movies and so he makes money, he tells me, off of the Sylvia Theater. Now, as mayor, it, it was an abandoned building, so I'm glad to see that Sylvia Theater, which is 114 years old, saved. And so now it's a movie theater and a performing center. The McKelvey Center, which was built in 1854, has been saved. So those are two two success okay. stories. Just out of curiosity, did the theater begin as an opera house? It began as an opera house, <laughs> and then it was named after the owner's daughter, Sylvia, okay. and it's still the Sylvia Theater. See, at the turn of the last century, that is what every town did, was they built an opera house. And of course, we know from the playbills here in Columbia that you would have all of the Barrymores, you would have the biggest names coming in week after week, but everything was connected by train. Then after they played Columbia, they might actually go to Barnwell, which had an opera house. As long as on the railroad line, on their way probably to Savannah, they would stop and spend. So, I mean, the fact that you've got the Sylvia began as an opera house, that is what towns in South Carolina, they did two things. First of all, they tried to get a mill. Mm-hmm. Everybody upstate wanted to get a textile mill. Some of them tried colleges with varying degrees of success. But then once they began to get a little, you know, people were moving in, they built opera houses. And that's a good example of Newberry has done what it has done very, very well. And... Other cities in South Carolina, as Reba can probably go down her list, other cities in South Carolina have done similarly. They have succeeded because they've had creative people who stepped forward and invested in what they have. York had that happen. Reba, want to talk about a few of those places? Sure. Um, Williamston, great example. Williamston is one of the newest members of our Main Street South Carolina program, which is an extensive program that focuses on bringing back downtowns. They have taken an old mill called Phoenix of Anderson and converted it into an international distribution center for fabric, and they've got a pretty unique business model. They're only open three days a month, but they have a public sale of excess bolts of fabric, and it attracts interior designers, seamstresses, do-it-yourselfers, not just from nearby South Carolina areas, but 
nationally and even internationally here in small little Williamston. So that that took some, again, local folks putting it together, the capital investment. Right. Um, Entrepreneurial spirit, the, um, the commitment of the local government to help. And it is not just one individual business that will succeed or fail in a situation like this. The, the downtown itself has got to be appealing. You, you've got to have destinations for people to want to come and sit on a park bench or have easy parking. I mean, it's all those things that get woven together that make a successful downtown. It's not just one or two, a, a theater or a business. It's got to be a community-wide effort. And it's just been amazing in the past even five years, the number of downtowns that are flourishing because of unique local assets that the public sector and the private sector have gotten behind. Lake City and its art fields mm-hmm. project is a perfect example of that. There again, looking at Lake City and a number of other towns over in the PD, Mullins, when the tobacco warehouse is closed, that was a horrible economic blow. People don't understand that for those few months, you know, basically July through September, when the auctions were going on, the economic ripple from that was incredible in the community. The John Deere dealership, the, right. the, the dry goods stores. Farmers through the late 20th century, that's when they bought the kids clothes for the year. They did all of that, and the, all of a sudden the tobacco warehouses closed down, and that not only left huge buildings, but the one in Lake City has, of course, that in, the, that, that in the bean factory had been right. redone. but. It was as bad as pulling a textile mill out of a place like Piedmont or Packlet. It just gutted the town to begin with. Well, you're exactly right about that. And one of our abandoned textile mills, we've turned into senior housing. So it had a second life. It was an abandoned textile mill, and it was sitting there, and a developer came in. The city worked with that developer, and it's now senior housing. And, you know, you can take those buildings, and with the right combination of private and public sector, you can make it make it have a second life. Well, and, and that brings me to kind of to local government, Reba. It requires flexibility, but our towns and cities are in many ways hampered with what they can do. Is that not right? That's true. South Carolina has got several layers of restrictions on what can be done. First of all, there's what the legislature over the years has imposed on local governments in terms of spending and raising taxes and that sort of thing. Then in um, each individual municipality chooses its own form of government. And so there are three forms of government in South Carolina, and there's not one that's better than the other. But as long as the um, elected leadership understands how to best leverage the one they're using, then they can be very successful with um, any sort of project. But those are two things that can be, it can cause issues. And the really successful cities are the ones that figure out how to work within that. There are, um, there's so many great success stories about, um, transitions and going from one type of economy to another. Uh, One of my favorite stories is Traveler's Rest. Okay. And the mayor of Traveler's Rest, I think, would tell you the same story, that the the Swamp Rabbit Trail, abandoned rail bed between Greenville and Traveler's Rest, has become an economic boon for downtown Traveler's Rest. The mayor will tell you that he wasn't necessarily in favor of putting so much effort into the trail when it first was established. And if you walk down Main Street of Traveler's Rest on a weekend day, probably nine out of ten people are wearing biking gear. They have parked their bikes at a bike rack and not a, a car in a parking lot. The restaurants cater to the trail. It is an amazing success story that 15 years ago, this little town would never have imagined the economic boon that this abandoned rail bed could bring to them. If my memory serves me, there is a delightful little restaurant sandwich shop in the old train station. Yes. Um, One of several downtown now. And at one point, I talked to the ladies who ran it, and then I found out that they named a sandwich after me. That's it, great. It is. 
a very old-fashioned southern sandwich, white bread, Duke's mayonnaise, bologna, and Vidalia onion. <laughs> I will remember that next time I'm in there. <laughs> I think they called it the professor, but that, that, that part is. <laughs> but, you know, these, these folks, they were making a gamble to put in a restaurant and Traveler's Rest. And well, it has sure paid off. Well, the folks over in, in Bishopville, uh, beginning with the Cotton Museum and what they've done in town, again, trying to, there the crop is obviously different. It's, it's cotton. There's mm-hmm. still some cotton, but that museum and what their downtown area, of course, the museum is right by the, close to the interstate. Mm-hmm. Again, that's, as you pointed out, Reba, that's a real plus. But one thing has led to another. Great community support, but saving, getting, saving the young people, keeping them there in the towns that were strictly rural communities mm-hmm. that were farm-to-market towns, that's your real challenge, I believe. Yeah, we're seeing that all over the state. You know, one, one town that's done a really good job of this is Hartsville. Um, now, Hartsville has Coker College. Hartsville has Sunoco, and Hartsville has the Governor's School for Science and Math. So those are going to naturally attract young people. But the leadership over in Hartsville understands that they've got a natural place to draw from to bring young people and keep them. They just need to make sure that what they're doing downtown is going to be appealing to them, and they are doing a phenomenal job with that. You said no small towns have gone out of business. Let me. There was a Fort Mott once upon a time. And you can drive, and I don't care what county you are in, you can drive to what used to be the main street of a little town. And it's sad. It is. And there's a lot of places that just don't have a tax base. You know, if you don't have a tax base, You've got to start somewhere, and that's that's the bottom line, huge challenge that some of these really small towns are facing. Yes, and, and my friends in Hampton County will tell you that that's really the, the issue there. Um, everybody talks about the, you know, the schools in Hampton County, and it's in the newspapers, not necessarily good press, but those folks in that school district tax themselves at a higher rate than any anybody else. It's just that there's... Nothing, nothing there to tax from. There's nothing to tax from. So what about that back in, in, in York? Well, I was thinking about the example that we set with funding our new high school. And there are four school districts in York County, and York is York school district number one. So there are four county school districts. And we passed a referendum. There was opposition to it because it was going to increase the taxes. But we wanted a modern high school facility and a modern technology center that prepared those high school graduates for for jobs. So we passed that referendum, and we built that school. And it always makes me proud when people pass by it, and they call it York University because it looks like a university. It's such an impressive facility. We work closely with the school district. Municipalities have to have good relationships with the school districts, and I'm sure Reba would agree. And if you don't have that, you need to work on that. And we've we've accomplished that. Right after I got to be mayor, I remember I met with the school district, and I said, you know, the school board, and I said, we speak the same language, so we have to speak the same language. So you want a strong relationship with your school district. And since school districts have taxes, that brings up the special service or special purpose districts, Reba, of which at last count, although nobody is really sure. If you can pin down a number on that, you're doing better than we are. (laughs) Somewhere in the neighborhood of 300. Probably so. Special service districts. And folks say, well, what is that? Well, in 1895, when we last did a constitution in South Carolina, there were certain things that, that towns and counties were permitted to do. One thing they couldn't do was build a hospital. They could build a building, but they couldn't run it. I mean, so all of a sudden you had a, a, a special district. You had a fire service district. You had an agricultural uh, – you have a water sewer district, and on and on and on. And I can remember during Governor Campbell's administration when there was an effort to restructure state government. Um, we worked with state government first and made a little bit of progress. The second half was going to be dealing with – all those boards and commissions, and nobody in state government 
nobody in the municipal association, the county, we could never come up with the exact number of special service districts that existed in South Carolina, many of which had taxing authority. Yeah, a good many of them do. And if you overlay that with the annexation laws in South Carolina, that you know, as the state has become more urbanized, those special purpose districts kind of don't have as much use anymore because cities are providing the service that those um, districts provided back when they were established. And you overlay that with the very restrictive annexation laws in our state that keeps cities from growing, as we like to say, to their natural boundaries. Annexing is very difficult in South Carolina. And um, there are a number of cities, a large number of cities, that have got what we call donut holes, where the, there's little pockets that are completely surrounded by the city, but they're part of the county. And um, that goes back to the annexation laws of decades ago, when the state was very rural. And the the law on this is not caught up with the reality of our growing population. Yeah. Well, it's... Interesting, we don't always in South Carolina want to say what they're doing in Georgia or North Carolina, but having gone to school in North Carolina in the 1960s, and sometime they, after that period, they changed their annexation laws, mm-hmm. and the communities began to, to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, as you said, we have to deal with the hand exactly. that has been dealt us, mm-hmm. but for small towns, I think about those those towns of a thousand in the tax base, and the services they have to provide. In some towns, don't they kind of contract out with the county to for like police, police, um, different utility services? Yeah, they. There's a lot of that in the smaller communities. Many of these small communities depend upon volunteer fire departments. They still do, absolutely. And it's getting harder and harder to recruit. Young people, yes. Not that they don't want to do it, but they're. If you lived in a farming community, you could all you could all run to the fire. Now they may live in a small town, but work in mm-hmm. Columbia or Charleston, and mm-hmm. so they can't respond. Same challenge with recruiting good police officers, because um, you know, the, the training requirements have increased both for police and fire. And you know, we we had a presenter at one of our meetings recently talking about recruiting of police, especially into lo- small communities. And it comes down to what kind of car will they be assigned, and is there a possibility of them having a dog as part of their team? And that can make a difference between going to small town A and small town B. Is what goes along with the job? There's not a lot of money in it, so got to look at the other pieces of that. And. And we're competing with, we talked about Charlotte uh, years ago in the Army Reserve. My sergeant major was with the Charlotte Police Department. His job was recruiting, and he was coming down and talking to the graduates of the criminal justice program mm-hmm. at the University of South Carolina. He was going. He hit every tech school in the state of South Carolina. And, of course, Charlotte could offer a lot of things that not even some of our bigger cities could offer. Exactly. There's always a shortage of um, qualified candidates for the police jobs and the fire jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, providing services, Eddie, one of the things that, frankly, is the genesis of this program is when I was visiting with you all in in York County a while back, and you talked about how you were planning for the infrastructure of your town Mm -hmm. and the growth. And for those of us who live in Columbia or any of the other cities, as our population grows, we're still living with an infrastructure that is kind of old. You know, you and I talked about that, as you mentioned, and a former mayor, when I first became mayor, took me around and he said, I want you to remember three things that will either make you or break you, and these are infrastructure items. He said, you've got to have roads, you've got to have good roads, you've got to have water, and you've got to have wastewater. We have I-77 on one side of York, and we have I-85 on the other side, but we need to be able to get to those interstates. So roads are very important, but that's an infrastructure item. The second is water. At my first council meeting, I found out that we were just about ready to run out of water. This was in 2002. It was quite a shock. Uh, Okay. Do do you draw from an aquifer? Well, in 2002, we drew from a small lake, and it was just about empty. What we've done since then is we have purchased water from Rock Hill, 
and that's a major that's a major step forward. So we do not have a water shortage in our future unless Lake Wiley goes empty, because we get our water from the same place that Charlotte gets his and where Rock Hill gets his. And so the city of Fort Mill and the city of York purchase our water from Rock Hill. So that infrastructure has need has been met. Okay. And what about the wastewater? Well, we had to work on that. And it's a topic that people don't like to talk about, but you've got to be able to have water and then you've got to get rid of waste products. And so we've expanded the capacity in our, in our city wastewater plant. That was um, a job that had to go through DHEC. We had to make sure that we didn't cause any environmental problems. We had to take care of all the inspection things that have to be done with wastewater. And um, we did that. So I think of that conversation with that former mayor. The road situation, we're still working on the roads, and that is an infrastructure item. I think the water, I think we've solved that problem. I won't hear that we're running out of water anytime soon. Okay, now now the road issue, South Carolina has the fourth largest state highway system in the country. Now we talk about Texas, California, you know, whatever. And that dates back to the 1920s and 30s when small counties could not afford highways, so the state built them all. But how many of your city streets are actually state Well, that's a, that's a great question. It came up in our council meeting last night. Most of our streets are state roads. We have a few that are city of York highways, but most of them are state of South Carolina roads. But that means the city of York cannot repair those state You're exactly right. And what we have to do, we had a group of um, folks from one of our neighborhoods that wanted their speed limit reduced. So we've had to make that request to the state, and the state has had to come in and do a speed survey. And I don't know how that's going to turn out, but we have to let the state do it because it's a state road. Reba, isn't this this one of those headaches that mayors and councils have is somebody says, well, why haven't you repaired X Street? Legally, they can't repair X Street. The perennial pothole problem. But if you look at, you know, Lexington's not a small town, but Lexington is a bedroom community, I guess you could say, of Columbia, and they've got a huge traffic problem. And rather than spending millions or of dollars on new roads, they've approached it by trying to reroute traffic using this very extensive traffic light system where it's all all controlled by computer. All 36 of their traffic lights in Lexington, I think by the end of the year, are going to be connected together. And just in the few months that it's been working, the mayor told me the other day that they've seen a reduction in tw- of 20% of traffic flow through downtown because of this new system, and it's not even fully operational yet. So you've got to be creative in looking at these challenges. Okay. So the community is responsible for the traffic lights on a state highway. Well, DOT turn those over to the town of Lexington and paid them some money to do that. And so now they've taken the money that DOT paid for that, and they've employed a traffic engineer so that that this whole process can work. It's the only one in in the state like it. Well, you know, it it makes makes you wonder if all of a sudden they turned everything over to you, Mr. Mayor, and you said most all of your major streets were state highways, and all of a sudden everything within your town limits became your you're going to have to raise taxes to fix those roads, right? Well, not just to fix them, but to hire new employees who are going to be making sure that that happens. So it would affect all kinds of things, and it would be impossible to accomplish that. What is supposed to happen is the speed limit issue that I was telling you about from our council meeting last night. I wrote our legislative delegation and asked them to, to, to get DOT to lower the speed limit on this major street in New York from Rock Hill. I have to depend on the legislatures, the legislators, to to help us. Single member districts, both House and Senate, create problems for those of you who. Uh, well, you're exactly right about that. And what I did with that issue, I wrote our state senator. The city of York is in his district. The entire city is in his district. And then I wrote a state house member who has a huge portion of the city of York in his in his house district. And then I talked with them on the phone and asked them to talk to the members of the delegation, too. So we have to piece it together the best way we can, Walter. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work, but hopefully in that case it will. Um, I will say in large, large part, 
the mayors in South Carolina understand the importance of relationships with legislators and even the ones who have legislators nearby who don't represent much municipal population are very good about reaching out and trying to help them understand the issues that are very specific to municipalities such as the local government fund or annexation, that type of thing. Okay. All right. Folks, we need to pause for a moment and let our listeners know that this is Walter Edgar's journal, and I'm talking with Dr. Ed Lee, who's mayor of the city of York, South Carolina, and Reba Hall-Campbell, who's the deputy executive director of the Municipal Association of South Carolina, and we're talking about cities and towns, success stories, and challenges in the 21st century. Let's maybe go back. Eddie, you are a historian. I'll blow your cover there. Uh, <laughs> but if, if we look back, let's say the 1880s, 1890s, we talked about uh, communities. And the question is, have there been kind of cycles? We, we mentioned earlier that everybody wanted to get a textile, you know, get towns to get a textile mill. Um, before that, it had been the railroad which actually is how Rock Hill came into existence is because there was a town that didn't want the railroad, and Rock Hill said, we want the railroad, and that made a, a huge difference. But getting on a rail line was important, trying to do get a college. In the early 20th century, I've seen the postcards. Towns would advertise that they had a graded school system, which meant they were not one-room schoolhouses, and that was a, a big step forward, getting electricity and, and that kind of thing. I guess we hit, we hit the down cycle after the 1960s in some places. Textiles began to go down, really hit bottom in the 1980s. Yeah, our, our mills, and we had several mills, but our mills survived until probably 1981. And then some of the buildings were just empty like the senior adult housing that we mm-hmm. talked about. And then that was taken and it was turned into something that's, that's benefited our whole community. How long did it take from the time that it was abandoned to? Well, it was abandoned in the early 1980s and it was turned into the senior adult housing my first year as mayor. So that's from 1981 to 2002. So that's two decades that it... You're lucky that it's still that it's. We were very fortunate with that one, the Rose Hotel in downtown York, which is right across from our courthouse that we talked about earlier, Walter. It it was a carpet factory, and it was a hotel where John C. Breckinridge stayed when he was trying to flee the pursuing Union troops in April of 1865. So, when it was a textile factory, it produced carpet, and but it had been a hotel. And then it was abandoned in the 1980s. And right before I became mayor, I can't take credit for what happened at the Rose Hotel, but an entrepreneur named Wayne Anderson, who did a lot of restoration work in the state of South Carolina and the city of York, saved the Rose Hotel. And the Rose Hotel now is an apartment building. So you can take those old mills and you can kind of, with the right combination of creativity and money and bold entrepreneurs, you can save them. Yeah. And Reba, any other examples like that that you could? Well, going back to to what you had said earlier about railroads and textile mills and what everybody wants, I think now it's broadband. You know, that's a huge, if if you can get good broadband access, that's what's going to bring the people and the industry and allow people to to live and work where they want to, and then you can take these old buildings because they're going to be people who want to live there and want to work there and use them for um, co-work space or light manufacturing. The railroads of, of years past, I, I think broadband is the railroad of, of today. Well, we, we actually kind of skipped between that. You had the interstate, yes. which changed a lot of things. Let's just take the little town of Allendale, which used to be a major stop on Highway 301. Mm-hmm. And the interstate came in and moved over several miles. And all those mom and pop motels, the restaurants, um, 
and the folks in Allendale still struggling with with what to do. Yeah, they do. And um, you know, we can go back to talking about Newberry mm-hmm. earlier, the attraction of large industry to mm-hmm. Newberry now and you know, they've done so much good work as we talked about earlier with the opera house and the hotel and the mayor over there loves to tell this story about the arts over there, that they were courting a large industry who just the, the folks from, I, I believe it was Germany, were there looking at, at the city and they were having an arts festival. I think it was a German um, Oktoberfest festival. And those folks from this com- international company saw Newberry's commitment to the arts and said, this is where our people want to be in a place like this. And when you overlay arts with broadband and making a city a place where people want to live, it's it's kind of the if they build if we build it they will come philosophy in some ways. But um, that's got to be there. That I think arts is as much a part of the infrastructure of a city as the pipes under the street are. Well, that's something a lot of folks still don't understand. But making places. I guess looking at things differently, but working with Historic Columbia, and at that time, this is back in the 1970s, the city of Columbia had an ordinance where you could not have residences above a business. And we helped lobby for that. Eventually, they changed that, and of course, that that changed the whole nature of Mm -hmm. Main Street. Charleston had already done it. Mm -hmm. Greenville has now done it. But that's where particularly young people, want to be downtown, and they don't mind living over the five-and-dime store or what have you. The restaurant or, yeah, yeah that upper-floor housing. When we when we visit downtowns, that's always one of the first things I like to look for is they've got you know great storefronts, great restaurants, great places for their banks to locate. But if people aren't living above them or aren't living nearby where they can walk, I won't say it completely defeats the purpose, but people want to be able to walk or bike. They also want to be able to park easily. And um, I think we live in an era of convenience, and that's got to be foremost in planners' minds that you've got to make it easy to get there. You know, Reba's point's a good point, too, about our downtown. We have about 20 people who live in downtown York. That's their neighborhood. Just like your neighborhood is is your neighborhood, and, and they consider downtown York to be their neighborhood. They walk their neighborhood, they take care of their neighborhood, they make sure it's clean, they make sure that it's safe, and so it's where they live. And they live above the restaurants and above the stores. And we mentioned the Sylvia Theater earlier, and they live above the Sylvia Theater, and, and they, it, they and, love it. And in the Rose Hotel. And the Rose Hotel, we've got people who live there and they talk about the ghost of John C. Breckenridge actually. <laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely a trend that we're seeing as downtowns are beginning to, to look at their own assets and grow from that. Upper floor housing, downtown housing is huge. I know we've talked about it before because I've had Knox White from, from Greenville and the success story of Greenville, but I was at a dinner at the university and there was a representative from Atlanta, an Atlanta foundation there who was making a gift to the university and talks about how he and his wife drive over to Greenville to spend the weekend. Uh, and yeah. Greenville has become a destination for particularly from people from Atlanta because, again, what they did with Main Street, restaurants, arts community, uh, the Peace Center. Uh, the Swamp Rabbit Trail. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it takes a lot of effort because once upon a time, I've seen a lecture that the late Charlie Daniel gave to the city of Greenville. And he said, this is one of the ugliest towns in the American Southeast. He said that back in the 1950s. It might have been it might have been 60s because Greenville went through a, a, a period of they tore down their, their historic mm-hmm. courthouse, but Greenville turned around. You know, sure the, the, you, you didn't want to be down by the Reedy River, for gosh sakes. Mm-hmm. But again, all of that has changed. In fact, this this gentleman was talking about, he was recommending to somebody at the table, have you eaten at such and such a restaurant, which is right down on the river? Now, 25 years ago, that would not have been thought of. So, again, it takes some foresight and, and planning. And, and risk-taking. Yes, mm-hmm. risk-taking. Well, the Rose Hotel that we talked about a moment ago, that was a classic example of how Dwayne Anderson 
who had his own development company, came in, and he worked with the city of York at that time, and they saved that abandoned carpet mill that was a historic structure, and now it's been brought back as the Rose Apartments. And we're excited to have that across from the courthouse, which is another success story that we talked about earlier. And working with the city, were there incentives that the city... Well, as Reba pointed out, there are limits to what we can do. But I must say that at that time, they were pushed to the limit. And they gave everything they could to make that happen. Um, And it worked with the Rose Hotel. The city made sure that our inspectors were as flexible as they could be with regard to making the developer pay for things that maybe the developer didn't want to put into that structure. It's a safe structure, but we didn't make them do certain things that we could have made them do. So we tried to save them money there, and that was probably a creative thing to do. The end result was that we now have a nice apartment building in downtown York. It's fully occupied. We also have the two bottom apartments have been turned into offices, so now there are offices there, and they have employees, so there are jobs there. So the people live there, but they're also employed there. Yeah, your point about um, limited availability of incentives, yeah, the financial incentives, but you're absolutely right about being creative. And one of the things that we see a lot of is not so much the monetary incentives, but it's the the city's commitment to be business friendly, to um, have a an ombudsman or um, some some of them call them concierge set up where you've got a a specific person within the planning department who helps walk through a process. Hartsville has done a really good job with that. Um, They've also done a good job with some creative incentives with bringing in a a chain hotel downtown with revitalizing some of their downtown buildings. And they've been very strategic and deliberate yet creative in what they can do. And their, their ordinance, their economic development ordinance, has become a good model for a number of other cities trying to do similar things. Well, would it be fair to say, and we've talked about some wonderful success stories, uh, particularly Newberry, Greenville, York, is it rather than trying to emulate somebody else to take a good look at your town and what is it that you have to offer that might be unique? The Newberry story is unique. The York story is unique. Bishopville is a little bit different. Traveler's Rest is a little bit different. Hartsville, the people in Mullins in dealing with the closure of the tobacco warehouses have really tried to push heritage tourism. The downtown of Mullins is exactly like it was in the 1890s. Not just the main street, but the housing stock. It's it's really an incredible piece of South Carolina and American history. And they're pushing that. The one issue that they continue to run up against is they're really far off the interstate. Exactly. But they have created a wonderful little museum. Their, t- their tobacco uh, culture museum is really absolutely first rate. And, you know, Walter, I was thinking about when Reba started and she talked about there are 300 municipalities, I guess, in the, 270, 270 yeah. in the state of South Carolina. Every mayor will say that he and she, he or she, they play the cards that they're dealt. So if you don't have the interstates close, then you figure out, well, this is what I do have. And you play the cards that you're dealt. I guarantee you that all those municipal governments, they all have creative people in them. And committed people, too. They've got committed people and they've got creative people. And they've got people who can do things and can move mountains. And that's happening all around South Carolina and every city I can think of. Well, what does the Municipal Association, what services do they provide to to towns that can help them in this process, Reba? Well, our our Main Street South Carolina program is very helpful. It's a very structured program that a a city has to apply to join. And we give them um, several years of very intensive, hands-on coaching and training from experts in South Carolina as well as the National Main Street program. They can then cycle on to the next part of that Main Street program where it's more of a cafeteria plan and they can pick and choose what they need in terms of services for planning, for promotion, for economic development. Give us a few specifics. You talk about the Main Street program. Did York, was York part of that? No, York wasn't part of that, but I know exactly what 
the good things that come out of that program that, that Reba referred to. You know, you want people to come downtown. You want them to have fun downtown. You want them to spend money downtown. And they'll come back. Well, our, our Main Street program does an assessment. They come in at the very beginning okay. when a, a city joins the program and does an assessment and then works with the um, the city leaders who have to have, they will have completed a very extensive application process. And it goes through looking at everything from private sector commitment, um, what sort of building stock is in the downtown, what is the vision, is there already a vision plan in place. I think it's like a 14-page application process that has to have a lot of involvement from many sectors of the community. It's a pretty competitive process. So the first year is a lot of evaluation, a lot of planning. Um, the program comes in and does a charrette within the city to determine the vision. And this isn't one of those things where now it's explain a to us what a charrette is. Community input and involvement to find out what what people want okay. and how they want their their city to look and feel. And then they develop a plan, and it's a working, living, breathing plan because the commitment had been made by the city to staff appropriately the the Main Street program and to have a very strong relationship between the Main Street local Main Street program and city government. Um, Hartsville, for instance, has brought its Main Street program in-house, so the Main Street staff are city staff members. And so very, very strong relationship between city leadership and the Main Street program leadership. Well, from what you have explained, it takes a lot of commitment. The local folk have to be committed. You're not going to come in, parachute in and exactly. be superwoman and save the day. Exactly. We provide a structure and an environment for success. But it's the local folks who have to have the commitment and the creativity okay. to make it work. All right. You mentioned Hartsville. What other communities are involved in the program now? Uh, Camden is one of our new ones. We've recently had the, done the assessment over there. Gaffney, uh, Lawrence, Orangeburg, Beaufort. I think there are about 18 of them now. I can't remember them all right off the top of my head. But from very small to pretty good-sized cities and um you know, each state has a that has a Main Street program does it differently. And so we in South Carolina have chosen to it's it's part of the municipal association here in South Carolina, which is not the way it works in most states. And we've chosen to do a very targeted strategic program rather than having a lot of cities involved where they get just a smattering of services. We we're doing it in a much more targeted and focused approach here in South Carolina. Listening to the different towns that are that are involved, I think that bodes well. And for towns out there that haven't considered it, they just contact you at the Municipal Association? Just go to our website and search for Main Street. Main um, Street, Main Street. Reba's, Reba's program has been marvelously successful. What we've done, we've used the model of the Downtown Business Association. Very similar, similar and, model, and, and, yeah. Because it was established a long time ago, and I kind of inherited that in the, in the city of York. And it's made up of all the businesses in downtown. And downtown York for their purposes, is more than just one street. So it's not just the main street. It's all the streets around the main street. They're all members of the Downtown Business Association, and they meet once a month, and they appear before the city council, and we kind of help them in various ways, and we do help them with a major festival in the summer called Summerfest. The Chamber of Commerce is involved in that, too. So we try to be responsive to those merchants. They're all merchants that have invested in their businesses, and we try to help them. And so we have the Downtown Business Association, which is similar to what the yeah, Main Street program is. It's very is. similar, and the festivals are, are a very strong theme among a lot of the cities that are in the Main Street program. Um, Lawrence is one of the, um, the members of Main Street, and you know, they, their downtown is built around a square, and they do a really good job of in, involving the merchants and the other business owners and bringing people into their downtown for various festivals throughout the year. And they've, they've actually won a number of our Main Street awards because of that. Okay. I really am sorry, but Alfred's giving me the wind-up sign. And so uh, any last words for our listeners before we sign off? Well, I would just say that 
There has to be balance in a city like York. We have this rich historical past, but you can look off in the distance and you can see Charlotte, and it's getting closer every day, <laughs> and it's growing toward us. So you want that balance between what we were and what we are and what we're going to be. Okay. And Reba? Well, it's an exciting time to be involved with cities and towns in South Carolina. I think the the leadership in our mayors and council members is probably at an all-time high. We've got such an interest in downtown revitalization and people committed to creative ways of doing it and not in a cookie-cutter manner. So I think we'll continue to see a lot of successes in our downtowns in South Carolina. Okay. Wonderful. Dr. Ed Lee and Reba Hull-Campbell, thanks for being with us today on The Journal. This is Walter Edgar, and I hope you enjoyed today's journal. I know that I did. 270 municipalities, almost half of them with populations of less than 1,000 inhabitants. That's a challenge. But dealing with these challenges, as the examples we heard today, whether it's York or Traveler's Rest or larger places like Greenville, South Carolina's municipal leaders have, I think, stepped forward in the 21st century to make adjustments, changes in economy, changes in population. And there's some wonderful success stories. This is Walter Edgar. Join me next week for more of The Journal. Walter Edgar's Journal is a production of South Carolina Public Radio. The producer and engineer is Alfred Turner. Production of this program is made possible in part by listener contributions to the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. The views and opinions expressed on Walter Edgar's Journal are not necessarily those of South Carolina Public Radio.